Hey, this is Audio Smut. I'm Caitlin. We're going to start this one with an anecdote about the love of my life. It's been seven years since I fell in love with Lara. It wasn't love at first sight. With her clean American Eagle outfits, sun-bleached blonde streaks, and tender, quiet voice, I was sure she was a prude. I was volatile, vulgar, and unapologetic. She thought I was rude. At one heavy metal show, mesmerized by two women spinning fire, drinking 40s of beer, our love affair began. She was as wild and hungry for the world as I was, and it turned out she had more experience. She knew how to roll joints and we smoked them every day. We listened to Radiohead. We were 19-year-old girls from small towns, fresh moved to Montreal. We lived every moment in unison. Our wardrobes merged into one messy explosion of clothes on the floor. Our wallets merged into a shared fund in support of our merged adventures. No meal, no drink, no activity, unshared. I wanted to be her. She wanted to be me. She asked me once when we were high on mushrooms if I would kiss her right there, on her neck. I was terrified. Lara and I were prone to the best kinds of disasters. We were fearless. It's not quite as good as Okay, I have a question for you. Why, oh, hello. Why, why? Yeah, pirate rum, we finished the whiskey. The wine's long gone. Uh, okay, wait, wait, wait. Oh. Hello, audience. This is the sound of my purse. Thank you. Brought to you by Caitlin Lara Breast Hallway. <laughs> Any good balloon must be inflated to the point of being squeaky and in no way wrinkled. It had been over a year of the best kinds of disasters when we had the worst threesome ever. Like many nights of ours, debaucherous and difficult to remember, it wasn't a beautiful mess. It was just a mess. One of our biggest messes. A guy I liked was visiting with a friend, staying with us. I was always afraid that as soon as someone I liked met Lara, it was over for me. She was literally my better half. I was always dragging her into situations, oblivious to her comfort level. We had what I called a naked party, which was going great until all three of us ended up in bed. We were all kissing and touching and doing things to each other, things I had hoped to do in different circumstances with both of them, separately. Somewhere along the way, I got the courage to state how much fun I wasn't having. I said something like, hey guys, I'm feeling really sad right now. Lara left the room, and eventually so did I. We fell asleep spooning, and when I woke up, she was gone. It took weeks for the emotional hangover from that night to subside. Despite the fact that I had largely brought the situation upon myself, I couldn't believe how oblivious she'd been to my discomfort. We never really talked about it again after the initial processing, until last week. I asked her if we could do an interview for the show. I told her it was about complicated situations with multiple partners, that we were calling it overwhelmed. I asked her if we could talk about that time.
Hello. Hi. Hey, how's it going? Um, should we just do it? Yeah. <laughs> so, like, do you feel ready to reminisce about that time? Yeah. Um, I remember you had gone away to Ottawa and had met this person who you were really excited about and had brought him back, you foresaw that I would also be attracted to him. And I remember being naked on the roof and dancing, and it was kind of misty out. What else? I remember being really afraid at the beginning of the night because um, I wasn't very comfortable with my body. And you were, or you at least were, appeared to be very comfortable with yours. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and so, and these were two men who I didn't know. <laughs> um, and so when you announced that it was now a naked party, I was kind of like, fuck, Caitlin, really? <laughs> like, I had to go there. Okay. <laughs> um, but then, uh, and I, I think if you remember, like it took me a while. I was a slow go nakeder. I think... I felt like I was a little girl playing dress up in a lot of ways. Of like, oh, sure, I can be naked. And, oh, sure, we're doing this. And, oh, sure, like, I guess now it's kind of me and my best friend and this other guy in the bed and, and like, figuring it all out from there. And to be honest, I think I just turned off. Like, I don't think I was really present. For some reason, I remember you guys being in the bed before I was there. And I remember feeling like I didn't want to have a threesome, but... I was afraid of what would happen if I left myself out of it. I was feeling anxious and sad, and I didn't want to be the one person saying, well, this is way too overwhelming. This isn't even sexy or sensual or at all getting me going. I'm just, like, really anxious and not sure. Like, we didn't talk about, like, who was going first or what's happening or like you know it's just a lot of limbs and places that you could put things and I'm not sure I want things there and yeah so and that was to be honest I think that just being part of my undergrad experience of uh, approaching sex as if it was this thing that you're supposed to be good at you know and and then discovering through that that it's so much more than that like, you, you were the love of my life. I think we were spending every minute together, and yet we couldn't talk about it, you know? And, like, there, was, there wasn't the language there to stop at any moment and say, whoa, what's going on? We were young and 20, and that this kind of sex play and this kind of a friendship was supposed to be liberating, but instead there we were sitting there going, like, this is the worst. <laughs> yeah, this is not the promised land. This is like making me feel dirty and cheap and sad. I think I would love to have threesomes when I'm like in my 60s, <laughs> looking at my projected plan of self-discovery and self-love. <laughs> I think that I would be having very good threesomes in my 60s. <laughs> um, yeah. I'm down. Just for the record. <laughs> All right. We can try again. Um, we can stop talking about this now. 
Yeah. Did you get, was that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I love you, lady. I love you, too. I love you so much. Mwah. Okay. Uh, okay. Bye. Okay. Bye. So welcome to The Overwhelmed Show. I want you to start by thinking about how many times you've wished to have sex with more than one person. How many times you may have hoped for that mythical threesome to be the one that gorgeous couple decides to take home, to watch the way your lover kisses someone else, to have so many hands on you that you forget which ones are yours. Are you thinking about it? This show is a wake-up call. As you just heard, more is not always better. Just because you're fucking more than one person doesn't always mean it's automatically awesome. And acknowledging that doesn't mean that you're not sexually liberated. On this episode of Audio Smut, we're shining some light on moments where more was a little too much. You're about to hear from two people who have experiences in this regard. Gloria and Arnie. First, Gloria. Gloria is an ethical slut, working at a massage parlor. She's always believed that desire isn't finite, that having sex with lots of different people has no impact on how much love she has to give. The overlap of these different intimacies got to be a little confusing for her one night. It's after midnight, and I just finished work in Manhattan. Class in Folsom, please. Is that in Brooklyn? Yeah, it's in Brooklyn. Can I smoke in here? No. Um. The last dude just paid 60 extra to come on my feet. Somehow, it's always the last dudes in the night that want to come somewhere on my body. Ugh, I need to take a shower. I don't mind though, my wallet's fat. $700 in $20 bills, not bad for a couple of hand jobs and a few fetish sessions. I started working as a dom and sensual masseuse a couple months ago, right after moving to New York to escape a particularly bad breakup. I've just started seeing a new squeeze, and things are quickly sliding from casual to serious. I've been texting them all night, reporting on the dumb shit my clients say, and gleefully describing the golden shower I gave a B-horror movie director. They asked if I wanted to come over after work. I said yes, but as soon as I do, an ambivalence creeps in. After a night of batting away wandering lips, it's hard to say what I really want. Do you want something? 
um, calling about your back page, Ed. I just wanted to inquire about your services. Well, it's a sensual, full-body rubdown in the nude with a very happy ending. Is touching included in the price? Light, mutual touching. What does that mean, like, uh, light, mutual touching? Like, no touching below the underwear. Can I touch your tits? Doing massage work is strange. It's a weird battle of boundaries. It's 20 extra if you want to kiss my breasts. 40 to watch me masturbate. Can I masturbate you? No, you can't masturbate me. That's not what masturbation is. Masturbation means solo, bub. Okay. Will you, uh, suck my dick? No, I don't do any oral. What about for 200 bucks? Not even for 200. Will you lick my balls? No oral of any kind. Can I stick my finger in your butt? No touching between the legs, dude. Mm. All right. Sensual massage isn't like regular sex work or dom work. It's the art of the tease. But it's a tease that usually goes on for an hour. Clients tell me all sorts of details about their marriages, the death of their parents, their dissatisfaction with their job. And that's what they're buying from me. Not sex, but intimacy. Remember that scene in Pretty Woman where Julie Roberts explains the no kissing rule? Yeah, that's because all this intimate touching that happens in sex work can make you feel pretty tangled up inside. It's not just kissing that feels like too much. There's a whole slew of places on my body that previously only lovers ever really touched. It's not bad work. I like it. I like most of my clients. I even have crushes on a few. It's just, well, I've got this new cute queer in my life. And I said I'd go home to them. We've only been dating a month. And I like them. I really like them. But something about the sex has been off. And I think it's because of my work. When I get in the door, they pin my wrists to my side and push my body up against the wall. Their lips find mine, and their hand grabs my chin, forcing my mouth open. This is the kind of sex I like. Rough power grabs with fumbling fingers all over the place. Their lips move to my neck and their hands push up my shirt while our hips thrust together. I want it so bad, but then... It's like an acid flashback. Their hand is dipping beneath the line of my jeans and all I can think of is Brian. A grabby, regular, obsessed with being told no. The thought has gone in an instant. But the feeling lingers. Suddenly, I just don't know if I want to get fucked right now. Even touched. I push my knee up between their thighs, grinding for a moment before flipping them over and throwing them onto the bed. I grab them by their hair and pull their head back, sinking my teeth into the back of their shoulder. I stand up. They try to get up, and I push them back onto the bed. No, you stay there. Take off your pants. They're stronger than me, so I know they're letting me win, because they want it. I lean over them, putting my hand between their thighs and whisper in their ear. Do you want something? No. Okay, we can stop. No. No what? 
Tell me what you want. Kiss me. Please. Why should I? I please, I'll do anything you want. Say it loud. I run my fingers along their clit, teasing them a little longer before working my hand all the way up inside them and letting them come, finally. We collapse all sweaty and naked together. They catch their breath. I kiss them real slow. When their hand starts working its way down my thighs, I gently push it away. I'm good for tonight. Let's just go to bed. We do, and they don't ask any questions. What you just heard is a personal essay written by Gloria and adapted for radio by Audiosmut. Our next story comes from Arnie Kantrowitz. Arnie is a professor emeritus and author who was majorly active in the gay movement and AIDS crisis in New York. Just before then, he was majorly active in the wild gay sex scene of the 70s, having tons and tons of group sex with lots of different people. Bathhouses were one of his favorite places to do that. Back in the 70s, there were maybe seven or eight um, bathhouses, gay bathhouses, uh, in Manhattan and uh, surrounding boroughs, too. The uh, Continental um, on the Upper West Side was the most elaborate of them. The Continental had a whole culture in it. It had a swimming pool, it had massages, it had a restaurant, um, and it had a kind of a dance floor and a nightclub. And that's where Bette Midler got her start. I'm melting. What is coming on me? My dear. And Barry Manilow was her piano. This is the part of the program we, where we really get it very heavy into nostalgia. Um, not ordinary nostalgia, you must understand, but nostalgia. It was a very interesting show. She was much raunchier back in her early days. I was very happy in the 60s. Uh, shaking her tits. And, um, I was so happy! And I remember all that music, all that really good, good music like Does Do Run Run throwing poppers, those amyl nitrite, um, from a basket. She would just toss them into the audience. Oh, oh, wait a minute, the postman. I always own. Her singing was wonderful and drew a lot of gays, and word got out. And uh, soon the uh, high society started showing up to this little uh, freak show. Now, there is no doubt in my mind, at least, that you all know these songs. However, I must beg you, do not sing along. <laughs> Under pain of death. I'm Mr. Gerardus back there, and he's going to pierce you with silver bobby pins. Yes. <laughs> so there we would be, said we used to walk around with towels wrapped around our waist. And, uh, of course, you wouldn't know anything about anybody's life, just what you saw in the towel. So you might be dealing with a politician or a garbage man or who knew what. Um, and we would be sitting in our towels uh, next to people in, in evening dresses. 
What I used to do is uh, go Saturday afternoon and stay till Sunday afternoon. You could take a nap, you could have a massage, you could go swimming, you could do whatever you wanted. Rest up between sexual bouts was, was the idea. The rooms were little cubicles with metal doors and no tops, so you could hear what was going on elsewhere. So one person would uh, finish with a partner and then call out, next, you know. There was also uh, a dormitory, so-called, uh, where group sex went on. People would go in there, you could just sort of reach out and find flesh and, and play, and everybody was everybody's partner. It was a little terrifying to go into total darkness and who knew what would be happening in there. I went into one of those places for a while. And, uh, It would be funny because uh, sometimes you'd hear a squeal or a laugh or a fart, you know, and um, everybody would kind of laugh at the same time. I began to feel like I was losing my identity. I, I ended up uh, extricating myself and standing outside with my towel in my hand looking dazed. You know, there, there was just too much and too, too much anonymity. What we were doing was fulfilling each other's fantasies. And I finally decide that, decided that it was just like the intimacy wasn't so intimate. I could be sleeping or, or having sex with anybody somebody who turned me off totally if I heard them talk. My first lover was an Episcopal priest, and he once told me, he was giving me sort of, sort of elderly advice. He said, you'll never meet a lover in a bathhouse. My fantasy um, was having such good sex that we would uh, go off into the sunset together. I was in my room. It was actually pretty dark. Larry came to the door. It was kind of dark, so it was more shadows, positionings, and The you know. system was that uh, you would leave your door open if you were interested in sex, and you might lie in such a position to indicate what kind of sex you would like. If you wanted to suck somebody um, off, uh, you might actually uh, be on your knees in, in, in your room waiting for someone to come by. I can tell you that that's uh, very hard on the knees. 
After we had sex, I introduced myself. That's the way it went in those days. I said that was a good time or something. And uh, my name, by the way, is, is Arnie Kantrowitz. And he said, I know. Arnie and I met at the Everard Baths, and, and in August we'll be together 30 years. My fantasy was having such good sex that we would go off into the sunset together. Well, that actually happened with Larry, so what did I need, <laughs> you know, to practice it with anybody else? With that uplifting story of true love, we leave you. For the record, Arnie and Larry never stopped having group sex and multiple partners. They simply decided that they liked each other the best and became life partners. They still live together in a gorgeous apartment in Chelsea. I want you to know that I'm not discouraging you from expanding beyond the one-on-one monogamous-only situation. I'm all for that type of expansion. It can be really fucking awesome, but as with all kinds of sex, it's way awesomer when you're honest with yourself and the people you're doing it with, and there's an open channel for discussion of that honesty. We just wanted to shed some light on those times that things get a little messy. Happy gallivanting. This episode of Audio Smut was produced by Mitra Kaboli, Julia Alsop, and me, Caitlin Prest. Do please check out our website, subscribe to us in iTunes, write us a sweet review, like us on Facebook, all that jazz. We love you, and we hope that you love us too.